welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. This is the third of this year's Young Leaders series, The Upside Down Kingdom, Following King Jesus in a Broken World. Brian Johnson, pastor of New City Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, brings us this week's message entitled The Foundation of the Upside Down Kingdom and covers Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 5 and Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me introduce you to Ryan Johnson. We're blessed to have him with us this morning. Uh, a little bit about him. Uh, he and his wife, Megan, met 10 years ago when they were on a church planning team in Las Vegas. And uh, shortly thereafter, nine months, I think, to be exact, you guys were married. Didn't so waste any time. Didn't waste any time like that. Man of action. Um, and then they moved to Indianapolis where they served with students for four years before coming here in 2012 uh, where Ryan went through our church planning residency program. And then out of that program in February of 2015, uh, the Lord used him to plant and is now the lead pastor of New City Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where he has been serving since February 2015. Um, Really thankful to have you with us this morning. Uh, Ryan and Megan have four children under the age of seven. Pray for him. (laughs) Now. Pray for him now. (laughs) Pray for my wife right this moment, actually. (laughs) We have four kids, but they're 14 and under, seven and under. Uh, that's uh, that's, that's uh, a lot to pray for, for sure. Let me, uh, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I just, it's a lot to pray for. Um, now we're grateful for the children that we have. We're grateful to have you this morning. Let me pray for you, and the Lord would bless, bless you as you lead us. Father, thanks for Ryan. Uh, Lord, thank you for the ways that you have led him to where he is now in Lawrenceville, the ways that you're using him to lead your people in that community, to build your church. We thank you for the gifts that you've given him as a teacher and preacher of your word, and we ask that you would fill him right now with your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to teach us, and that you would give us hearts and ears to receive it well. We do indeed pray for Megan, pray for his children, and thank you uh, for the father that you have called him to be on this Father's Day. We give this all to you, Jesus, for your glory and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How y'all doing? Good. Happy Father's Day, fellas. Uh, It's good to be with you today. Excited uh, to be here. I was talking with one of the leaders in our church this week, and he said, man, he said, what kind of church gives away their money and their people to another church? I said, I'll tell you what kind of church that is, Perimeter Church. Guys, we would not be where we're at today uh, as a church plant without the loving, gracious, and generous support of this church. So uh, I know a lot of times you guys have very little clue and idea as to what God is doing through this church around Atlanta and around the world, but we are blessed to be a part of the Perimeter family. This morning, I want to talk to you about the foundation of the Upside Down Kingdom. And so what, what we're going to be looking at this morning uh, in particular is the first three Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and the reason that we're looking at that, I want to give you a clue in as we go in that direction, uh, is because I believe that the first three Beatitudes are really all about the work that Jesus has to do in us, the, the footers of the foundation that he has to lay inside of us so that we can effectively go forth and see his kingdom be built. A lot of times I think I'm confused about how the kingdom's built. A couple years ago, my 
son Caden and I were in the basement together. Uh, we bought a fixer-upper in Lawrenceville, and we're doing some renovations in the basement, and I had framed in some of the, uh, one of the walls in the basement, and I was getting to the place where I was, you know, hanging the sheetrock, the really rewarding pl- part where you can actually see some work that's been finished, and my son comes uh, kind of hustling down the steps to me, and uh, he notices that dad's working, and so what he does is he kind of disappears, and I'm, I'm kind of clueless as to where he's gone. And uh, about five minutes later, he comes back down, strutting down the steps with his uh, Fisher-Price tool belt on, his hammer, and I kid you not, his goggles, because it's going to get messy. So he comes down, I said, hey, buddy, what you doing? He said, I'm coming to work, Dad. And I said, all right, buddy, let's do it. And so he stayed down there with me for about an hour or so, which is like an eternity for a two-year-old. And uh, we, we began, you know, finishing up, uh, hanging the drywall, getting it all ready to mud in. And uh, after we had finished for the day, he hustles back up the steps and he says, Mom, come and look at this wall that I've built by myself. Come and check it out. And so, Mom, my wife, comes down the, the steps and she looks at it and she goes, Wow, Caden, that is amazing. Now, the reason I share that story with you is because that's what it's like to build the kingdom of God. That's what it's like. It is a father and son, a father and daughter endeavor to build God's kingdom. And the thing that I love about my son Caden on that day is that he couldn't tell the difference in his work and God's work. And that's because we're knit together, we're one, we're family. And that's what it's like to build the kingdom of God together. It's like, it's like Jesus says to us, Come and worship with me. In in all of your life, in everything that you do, invite me in because I'm going to have to rebuild the foundations of your heart so that you can understand the priorities of my heart. I love what Colossians chapter 1 says. It says this, He, meaning Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us into a different kingdom, into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So what is the qualifier to be a part of this new kingdom? It's that we've, we've all experienced the forgiveness of our sins. That is what has transferred us into this kingdom of his beloved son. But you and I are tempted to see the kingdom of God as something that we bolt onto our life, something that we tack on to what we were already about before we were ushered into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no, no, son. I've got far more work to do in you than you've bargained for. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll try to avoid the work that he wants to do in us. Especially the deep and the painful work that he does. But it is the only way that we see the kingdom of God come more fully into us so that it can go more fully through us. Now the way that, that I like to preach is I like to kind of boil everything down to one point. And so the, the big point that you're probably already picking up on this morning is this, the big idea, in order to build the kingdom, the kingdom must first be built in us. And while we'd like to think that that comes all at once when we first become believers, I've learned that there's these fresh pourings of the Holy Spirit out on us as we walk with Jesus, 
And although we've been transferred, he continues to transfer us, and he will transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's the work that Jesus does. In effect, it's like Jesus is saying, you'll miss my kingdom if I don't do this work in you. You'll miss it. So in the first sermon, arguably one of the only monologue-style sermons that Jesus ever preaches, in the first sentence of what he declares in that sermon, he turns the kingdom upside down into what his disciples think. I mean, this, the gospel of Matthew that we're looking at the Beatitudes in is, a, is an extremely Jewish gospel that's geared toward the Jews. And Jesus knew that their tendency would be to build the wrong kingdom, just like ours is. To have their ladder up against the wrong wall. That he knew that we could be consumed with religious activity and never build the kingdom of God. So it's amazing what Jesus does in this. He, he, he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount and, and after that, and he, and he says, you know, the, the, you'll be prone to miss my kingdom. I mean, I'm going to take you through places like Samaria in John chapter 4. A place that you've never been before and a place that you thought was forbidden. But guess what? My people are there that I have to call. My people are there. And, you know, we sang that first song today uh, that, that all of my fountains are in you. I think that was the declaration of the woman at the well. That's what she went away saying. All my fountains are in Jesus. I don't have to look anywhere else anymore. He came to me when I couldn't come to him. We'll be tempted to miss his kingdom when the lepers approach him and he approaches the lepers, those that are unclean, those that have been ostracized by the Jewish community, those that have been ostracized in our community, Jesus has to do this deep and redemptive foundational work in us so that we can see the kingdom of God. So my question to you as we enter into our text today in the Beatitudes is this. We're asking God this. God, how are you seeking to build your kingdom in me today? How are you seeking to, to deepen the work of your Holy Spirit in me today? God, is there something, some circumstance, some tattered relationship, some deep sin that I'm wrestling with that you're working in that I'm avoiding? And you're working your kingdom priorities into my heart through those circumstances, but I want no part of them. Is there something like that in your life today? That's the question that we're asking. So the way that this sermon is structured is we're going to look at the foundations of the upside-down kingdom. I kind of have three points that are real simple. They're the first three Beatitudes. So the foundation of the upside-down kingdom is a, is a poor spirit. It's a, it's a mourning heart, and it's a, it's a meek strength. And the way that I see these playing out in the Scriptures is that while I'm tempted to take the Beatitudes like a grab bag and take one here and there everywhere that I need it, the Beatitudes are actually sequential. Jesus is, in fact, showing his priorities in his kingdom in a summarized way in the Beatitudes. You know, we all want to be merciful. We all want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We all want to be peacemakers, but none of us want to be poor in spirit. None of us want to mourn over our sin. 
None of us want a strength that no one can see. And Jesus says, that's why I've got to rebuild you from the inside out. So let's turn to the first beatitude. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, everyone is poor in spirit. Everyone is poor in spirit. But not everyone is blessed because of it. Not everyone's blessed. Who are those that are blessed according to Jesus? It is those who are aware of their poverty of spirit. Those that are aware that they are powerless over sin. Those that are aware that they are bankrupt without Jesus. Those that are aware that they are unclean without his work on their behalf. Those that are aware that there's no joy and delight to be found in anything else in life other than Jesus Christ. So the Sermon on the Mount stands to us like a mountain of expectation in some ways. If any of us can read the Sermon on the Mount and think, man, I can do that, we got to come back to the first beatitude. Because what Jesus does in the law to these Jews, with the law, to these Jews, he says, you've heard it said, you shouldn't commit adultery. You've heard it said, you shouldn't murder. But I say to you, I say to you, if you have lust in your heart, it's already like you've committed adultery. If you have anger against your brother, it's already like you've murdered him. Jesus takes the law and he puts it on our heart and it rends us all guilty. There's nothing we can do. And so Jesus starts out the Christian manifesto like this. If you want to live in my kingdom, you've got to give up your own righteousness. You've got to give it up before you begin. I enjoy going to the circus. Anybody else like going to the circus? A few of you, you're like, yeah, I did that when my kids were little. Not really anymore. But the circus, my favorite thing about the circus is taking my kids. But as far as all the things that go on in the circus, my favorite thing to watch is the trapeze artist. I mean, do those guys have some guts or what? Uh, one, of, one of my favorite authors is named Henry Nowen, and, and he, he talks about his uh, affection toward the trapeze artist like this. Uh, he, he said that, that later in his life, he enjoyed the circus, and in particular, the trapeze artist so much that he would spend a week of his vacation every year traveling around with the trapeze artist as they went from town to town in the circus. Now, that's commitment, right? That's commitment. I haven't done that. But as he was talking to one of the leaders of the trapeze community, I guess you would say, one day, the, the guy said this, you know, when I fly through the air, everyone claps and they cheer and they chant because they think I'm the hero. They think it's me. But Henry, I'm nothing unless that guy catches me on the other end. I'm nothing. So really, the, I, I'm, I'm only a headline in the newspaper if that guy doesn't catch me. The hero is the catcher. Hero is the guy that comes through and catches you while you're soaring through the air. The kingdom of God is like this. To have a poor spirit, you know, people may look at your faith and, and think, wow, look at, look at this deep person of faith. But you and I are nothing if Jesus Christ has not caught us. And his grip on us is much stronger and much more effective than our grip on him. Jesus 
has come to us. And so the first beatitude, in effect, really communicates this idea. Are you weak enough to be saved? Are you weak enough to be saved? Are you weak enough to be effective in my kingdom? And it confronts us, especially men, on this Father's Day. Because we like to portray and boast this posture of strength. And Jesus says, are you weak enough to be saved? Because if you're not, you're going to miss my kingdom. You know, the Apostle Paul wrestled with this too. The Apostle Paul had this, this what he called this thorn in his flesh. And he, he pleaded that God would take away the weakness that he dealt with. Because he wanted to be strong and to see churches planted throughout the world. But he dealt with this infirmity or this temptation. We're not real sure what the, the thorn in the flesh is. But we know that he pleads with Jesus to take it away. And you know what Jesus says to him? Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul, if you want to be effective in my kingdom, you've got to be needy. You've got to need me, Paul. As Acts 1.8 says, that, that we'll proclaim the gospel in, in all of the nations throughout all the world. is that the Holy Spirit will come upon us, and you know what the Holy Spirit will do? It will give you power. Now that power is not the kind of power that we think. The power that Paul is, is, is really taught by Jesus here is the power of Jesus shining through us, bringing glory to the Father. That's the real power of the kingdom. It's almost like we're transparent and Jesus is working in and through us. So what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5 is that once you get to this place, and you'll have to come to this place many times in your life where you realize that you have to be really weak to be saved, you have to be really weak to be effective in the kingdom. Once you come to this place, Jesus wants you to know this promise. Yours is the kingdom. It's your present possession. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is everything that you need for life and for godliness. It's all yours because it all belongs to Jesus. So in light of Father's Day, man, I want to challenge you in one particular area on this. And it's this. What would it look like for you to lead out of your weakness? What would it look like for you, for, for your kids to look back on your life and to remember you on Father's Day and say, man, I am so thankful that my dad didn't just show me the high, highlight reel of his life. He didn't just show me all the good and great stuff that he could do for me and the fam. But he led out of his weakness and I felt the pain of his struggle. That we would teach our kids how to wrestle with sin and repent well. What would it look like for that to be the narrative? What if God were to uproot the self-sufficient spirit within each of us and show a deeper dependency upon Jesus day after day as we seek his face and that would go into our families and it would permeate the culture around us because we are so needy of Jesus. Because our hearts cannot be self-sufficient and Christ-dependent at the same time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. That's the first footer that Jesus wants us to know about the foundation of the upside-down kingdom. Let's keep moving. The second one is this, a mourning heart. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This literally reads like this. Happy 
or the unhappy? Happy or the unhappy? Satisfied or the unsatisfied? Blessed are you if you mourn. Now, while we could take this in the context of specific instances where we mourn and grieve in life, Jesus is in particular talking about mourning over our sin. You know, so the first beatitude talks about really confessing our neediness and brokenness, our poverty of spirit before our Father. The second one is tied to the first one because he says that leads you to a place of mourning over your sin. So if the first beatitude is confession, it's an action. The second beatitude is contrition. And contrition is a posture. It's a posture of your heart. It doesn't go away overnight. You have to sit in the middle of your sin and to be taught the way of the Father as we experience life. Listen to what Isaiah 57, 15 says. Now, I want you to be listening for where the presence of God dwells most fully. I'll say, I know God's omnipresent. We know that. He's everywhere. But listen to where his heart dwells most it's in these two places. Listen, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and the holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So Jesus, our Lord, dwells at the right hand of the Father, He's he's seated, the book of Hebrews tells us he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And you know what he's doing? He's making intercession for you and I. He's presenting us to the Father, spotless, blameless, holy. We understand that about Jesus. The other place that he's seated is he's with the contrite of spirit, the the, the lowly of heart. And and his aim in, in manifesting his presence to us through the Holy Spirit is to revive the heart of the contrite. He's transcendent. He's imminent. That's where Jesus dwells. Those are the places that his heart is drawn to. But there are, te- there are times when I am tempted to skip straight past this whole contrition piece, to mourn over my sin. Here's what I do. I go from I'm forgiven, I'm I'm in the action of sin, I've committed a terrible sin, and I jump straight to forgiveness. And I'm not saying that I don't want you to be, have assurance of pardon. You absolutely need that security. But there is something that we lose when we fail to sit in the pain and loss of our sin. There's something that we lose there's, there's something of the Holy Spirit who is called the Comforter. There's something that we lose when we jump straight past that sin to forgiveness. There's something that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us as we sit in the middle of it and we learn from His heart. And what happens is, is it cheapens grace for us all. There's no one that wrote more effectively about cheap grace than Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and martyr, activist. Here's what he says about cheap grace. Cheap grace is is the grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without the requiring of repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion 
without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. He goes on to write about the difference in cheap grace and costly grace. Now, costly grace is those that learn to mourn over their sin and to be taught by the Holy Spirit in the midst of the already and the not yet. What do I mean by that? The already are the things that we've experienced of God's kingdom and God's presence that are, that are real to us, that are near to us, that have been fulfilled. The not yet are those things that, that are, are left unfulfilled at this point. We know that Jesus has come. He's justified us. He's adopted us. He's brought us into his kingdom. But we also know that he's present with us. He is coming. He's coming to us in greater effect. His kingdom is coming like we sang earlier every day more and more fully. And we know that it will come as well. Jesus is still doing work in us and he does it through mourning. Now, we've talked about individual mourning. We haven't talked about corporate mourning. Corporate mourning is, is something that we see Jesus do when he is coming down the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 19, and, and there's this big you know, processional going on uh, on Palm Sunday. He's riding on this borrowed donkey, and everybody's saying, Hosanna in the highest. The palm branches are waving like crazy. And he stops the processional. He says, hold up. And he begins to weep. He begins to weep over the sins of Israel. And he says, you know, if they would only know what would what would, what would it take to have peace? Because he knew that on Thursday they'd be saying crucify him. So Jesus mourns the sin that would become his sin as he comes down the Mount of Olives. Last year at, uh, at the General Assembly of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, we corporately uh, took up this posture of mourning over the evangelical church's failure to speak up uh, love and defend our African-American brothers and sisters in the midst of horrific injustice. Now, while all of us would like to move straight to forgiveness, there's a lot of pain that we dealt with as a, as a denomination that, that, that a lot of folks were unaware of. And so we're sitting in the middle of that. We're mourning and we're grieving. We're asking for Jesus to come more fully. And there's beautiful things happening in our denomination in this church. There's beautiful things God is doing. We may mourn over the lost souls of Atlanta together. You know, your neighbors that have been inoculated by the gospel. They've got just enough gospel to keep Jesus away. So we mourn that. We ask Jesus to come more fully, to, to regenerate their hearts, to give them new life, to transform them, to, to transfer them from the the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and to use us in the middle of that. We mourn corporately over this. There's a reason why there's a weeping prophet in the Bible, Jeremiah. There's a reason why he wrote the book of Lamentations. There's a reason why Job is 42 chapters long. Have you ever wondered why it's so long? Because that's how grieving and mourning and lament work. We could get the details out in six chapters. The first three and the last three. The middle 36 is how grieving and mourning works. So Jesus is near to us. He's near to the brokenhearted. And, and we are tempted so many times to think that mature, becoming a mature and equipped follower of Christ, like 
like Perimeter Church desires to be, means that we wean ourselves off of our dependence of Jesus. That every day we walk in him, we need him a little less. It's like he's like a crutch. We don't need him quite as much today because we're getting better about our sin condition. My friend Jeff says that, that when we're saved, when we come to faith in Jesus, it's like we're given this huge dose of spiritual anesthesia. You know what happens when anesthesia wears off, right? You become more aware of what's going on and you do crazy things. Like I tried to jump out of the car after I got my wisdom teeth cut out. I mean, crazy, crazy things you do. So, so you become more aware of your situation. You become more aware of the pain of the surgery that you were in. And you become more aware of reality. When you first came to Jesus, sure, you were a sinner. But as you follow him, God reveals more of our flesh as we walk in Jesus. And he shows us there's more work that, than we bargain for that he has to do inside of us. And so the work that God does is to consistently and graciously reveal to us that we are incredibly dependent creatures. And so we mourn over our sin. Let's, let's transition to the, to the last uh, beatitude we'll be looking at today. So we've talked about a poverty of spirit. We've talked about a mourning heart. Let's now look at a meek strength. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 says this, Blessed are the meek, for they, they shall inherit the earth. What's it mean to be meek? To be meek is to have a true view of yourself. As Romans 12 says, it's to have sober judgment. You see yourself in light of Jesus. And you're, you're secure in Jesus, but you realize that the only thing that you have to offer in life is Jesus. And you see that as a good thing. You see that as a beautiful thing, and you're content and at rest in the midst of of that. It means, it means that you no longer have the extent of this grasping spirit that always wants somebody else's life or somebody else's stuff, but you're content with what Jesus has dealt you because you know that it is the best thing for you. That he's working good, 100% good in you because you belong to him, regardless of what your circumstances may tell you. But you are content to be in him. You're at rest, you're at peace in him. And this blessed life, the life that the Beatitudes describe, comes out of this deep place of rest in God. And you have this meekness, this quiet strength, because you've been humbled. You've been leveled at the foot of the cross. You know that you've had to let go of your own righteousness. You know that mourning over your sin is not something you're just going to get over. That your job as a Christian is not just to convince people that you're getting better about your sin condition, but it's to point them to Jesus. Because those that have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son have one thing in common. They are forgiven. That is our anthem, church. And we keep coming back to that anthem. The foundational work of the upside-down kingdom for us is evident. It's evident because we begin to value the things that used to be intolerable to us. Because we've found that Jesus in his sovereign love, mercy, and care for our souls gives us exactly what we need. About nine months ago, God began teaching my wife and I this uh, in our family, in our church, 
uh, in a way that we never expected that he would. Um, my wife was having, Megan is her name, she was having some trouble seeing out of her right eye, and it progressively got worse and worse and worse until one day she says, Ryan, I'm blind in my eye. I can't, I can't see anymore. I don't know what to do. So she goes to the eye doctor, and they say, your eyes are fine. You need to go straight to the emergency room. So we find ourselves pawning our kids off to a neighbor, rushing down to the hospital at Emory, and sitting in a waiting room, terrified for what's to come. And after about three and a half days in the hospital, uh, my wife is uh, diagnosed with relapsing and remitting multiple sclerosis. And I remember two weeks later standing up in front of my church and just saying, hey guys, you're in my living room this morning. If I can't preach to you now, I'm just being a fake. I'm just being inauthentic. And the reality was is that my wife could not close her Bible and I couldn't open it. I felt like this victim. God, why are you doing this to us? What is happening? And as we've been just mourning the loss of, of certain aspects of our life through this disease, God has been teaching us things that we could never have learned any other way. I remember sitting in our missional community one night, uh, my wife and our, our you know, friends that are like family in our living room, and, and her, her declaring, guys, thank you for praying for me, for my healing. But I wouldn't trade it for anything, because I know more of Jesus now than I ever have. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And so we've experienced this tossing to and fro, um, just kind of experience for us through different medications and, and things like that. And uh, we found ourselves in April uh, back down at the Shepherd Center, and uh, my wife had just had an MRI, and we were, we were going to meet with the doctor where we'd get the results of this MRI where we would, we would find out, is the disease progressing? Are we getting better or are we getting worse? And we had a little time, and so we went down to the, the cafeteria, which is on the lower level. And as we walked in, I just, God just gave us different eyes than we'd ever had before. It was like we weren't victims of this trip that we had to take down into the city, but we were on a spiritual pilgrimage, and Jesus, he was with us. And as we walked into the cafeteria, there was... There's people in wheelchairs all around us, people that were visibly broken. And, and it was beautiful because you see this one lady I remember trying to reach the back row of the salad bar, but she can't stand up so she can't reach it. And so, you know, the people that look more put together are, are helping her get what she needs for her salad. I, I remember seeing two young men, younger than me, looked very athletic, sitting in wheelchairs with their basketball shorts and their Jordans on, and a catheter taped to their leg right here, fully exposed, laid bare before all, and yet they're cutting up and they're having, they're experiencing joy and peace in the middle of those moments. And a reality occurred to Megan and I in that moment. And it was this, we saw a portrait of the kingdom of God coming more fully in our lives through the behavior of these individuals. Because it wasn't that the, the, the stronger, more put-together people were just serving the people that were visibly broken. But it was like the people that were broken were somehow, some way, serving in an even greater measure to the people that were put together. And friends, 
That's what we run the risk of missing when we fail to let Jesus deconstruct our ideas of his kingdom. That is the grace of the first three Beatitudes, that he strips us down. We realize we have a poverty of spirit. That he leads us to a sense of mourning over our sin. And he gives us a meek strength so that we can hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And we can see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. King Jesus, man, God, we come to you today and we, we beg of more of your presence in our lives, God. We, we confess that oftentimes we think we know what, what we need more than we ever do. And so, Jesus, we're so blessed by the reality that you know us better than we could ever know ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this room. I pray for those who are just kicking the tires of this Christianity thing that are in here this morning. Lord, your power is real. Your care is deep. And your love is far greater than we could ever imagine. So, Jesus, we ask that you would help our hearts be weak enough to see your kingdom come and your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.